Good morning. It's, it's still morning. Um, hi, youth. Hi, wake up weekend crowd. Yes. It's already been a full and rich morning at First Baptist Arlington, uh, but I'm glad to be with you here in this moment. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Katie Hodges. I was introduced early in the service, but often we get a bit of a trickle in this service. People trickle in. And so if you don't know me and you weren't here in the beginning, my name is Katie. I've been on staff here for eight and a half years now. I know. I kn- sure, we could clap for that. Whatever. Uh, that's fine. Um, uh, but my role here at the church is that I oversee all of our care ministry and other duties as assigned, which occasionally is filling in for our pastor when he's away. And so Dr. Wiles and Kirk Grice are on the annual trip to Rome, a church history tour that our church puts on, and that's each winter. And so uh, we've already said hi to them, and they've responded. So Kurt's watching. So let's give a big hi, Kurt. One, two, three. Hi, Kurt. Good. Hello. So... We've got a late one. Okay, Um, well, this morning we're entering into this uh, conversation, this sermon series, and we're gonna look at Ephesians 2. So if you've got it with you, open it up. We're gonna read the first 10 verses. If not, it's on the screen behind me. And so that's okay. I'm reading in the NIV. So I'm gonna read and introduce for us Ephesians. Um, Authorship of Ephesians, mostly accredited to Paul. We're gonna go with that today. Written from Rome when he was imprisoned. So he's writing to the Ephesian church from a prison cell, whatever that looked like in the Roman age. And he's writing this letter to them to encourage them. And so we're starting in chapter two, verses one through 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship or his handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Amen. I wanna start us off this morning talking about transformation, about before and after. Um, It's often a compelling narrative in TV shows, in movies, in literature. Everybody loves a good rags to riches before and after. Um, There's several TV shows that are kind of based on this, reality TV. When I was in college, maybe after even, I'm getting older. Um, What Not to Wear was a popular show. Are y'all familiar? A group of friends would nominate their friend, which is, let's think about that, because they dressed terribly. They were frumpy or their clothes didn't fit or they weren't appropriate for the social context. And so their friends or their spouse would say, we gotta nominate my dad because he embarrasses us all at church. And so, and then they would like film them in these social settings. Then the stylist would come in, they'd have these 
these come to Jesus moments with them. They change their style. And at the very end, out comes like the best version of this person. So before and after, right? Um, Home and Garden Television has made their money off of this, right? You really only need to watch the first five minutes and the last five minutes of any show because you have the black and white, house looks terrible, and then the big reveal, right? My favorite HGTV show is My Lottery Dream Home. <laughs> Does anyone watch My Lottery Dream Home? Just me? Oh, <laughs> of all the people. <laughs> I love that. Um, Terry Cunningham is joining me. Um, okay, I like My Lottery Dream Home because it is for pe it's people that win the lottery, like a scratch-off ticket or they play. I'm not endorsing that. We're actually going to talk about gambling here. I'm not doing that. But these people... The, like, they went against the odds, they've won the lottery, and then they go on the show and they buy their dream home. And so for many of them, they've been like renting their whole life or living with family. And so they're, it's just a very humble beginnings to this wonderful gift that they never thought they could have in owning their own home. And I love my lottery dream home. But by far, the most famous HGTV hit that became its own sensation that now has silos and it now has its own network and you wish you could hang out with them, it's Chip and Joanna. And the show that made them famous is Fixer Upper, which is totally, totally about transformation. They even had those large canvas pictures of your house on wheels, and it was kind of like, bus driver, move that bus, and we move it, and then there's this brand new home, right? Transformation before and after. It is, it's the narrative that compels us, right? And hopefully, our lives in Christ are in, in themselves before and afters, right? We have that own transformation in our lives. What we're looking at today, Ephesians, written by Paul, that's why I mentioned it, Paul has one of those huge, important, dramatic before and after stories in his life, doesn't he? Okay. When I got to college at Stephen F. Austin State University, thank you very much, <laughs> I joined the BSM and got involved, and nobody's fault but my own, when I walked in, people were talking about this guy named Paul, and Paul was brilliant. This guy named Paul had great things to say. And I was like, this guy named Paul must be a senior that I haven't met yet, or he's just graduated. I wonder if he's single, and I gotta get to know him. Because <laughs> it's, college, it's college, right? That's the first question. It's, it's Christian college culture in the South. It's the first question in everybody's mind. So I had no idea about Paul. And then, I, and then I went to a Bible study and I learned about it. But I don't want to assume anybody knows this whole story of Paul when I say, oh, you know, yes, this is great transformation. So with that, Ryan and I have had three children in the last 15 months. <laughs> well, we had them all at once and they're triplets. And I, I brought some photos of them just, to, just so we're all on the same page. Thank you. Okay. So, okay, the weather last week got him a little snotty. I'm sorry, but okay. So you've got, uh, do y'all know? I feel like these are the most celebrated humans. So do you know who's on the far left? Can we do this together? <laughs> it's Sam. And in the middle? Yeah. It's Jack. And on the right, it's Ben. Okay, so Sam, Jack, and Ben. Very cute. Love them. Okay, the next photo is real life. This is real life at our house <laughs> all the time. So Sam in the front. Just bop in. He's walking now. He's, Sam is walking. And then the other two are just fighting over nothing, right? So that's the stage that we're <laughs> moving into. Uh, but with the boys, Ryan and I are trying our best and learning what it is to, to try our best to introduce them to Jesus when we can, how we can, as appropriate. And so someone in the church, I think it was the net, said, you got to get this book. 
and it's the Jesus Storybook Bible. And so I have been orienting myself with it and reading it to the boys. And so wouldn't you know that in the back of this book, toward the end, because it's in the New Testament, there's a little story about Paul. And it helps us know the journey of Paul. And when I talk about his big life transformation, we can all know it together. And so if you've got a minute, I'm just gonna read us the story of Saul, okay? Of all the people who kept the rules, Saul was the best. I'm good at being good, he'd tell you. He was very proud and very good, but he wasn't very nice. Saul hated anyone who loved Jesus. He traveled around looking for them. He wanted to catch them and put them in prison. He wanted everyone to forget all about Jesus. He didn't believe Jesus was the rescuer, and he didn't believe Jesus was alive either. You see, Saul had never met Jesus. So one day, Jesus met Saul. Saul was on his way to Damascus when suddenly a dazzling light flashed like lightning. It was brighter than the sun. It was too bright. Saul shielded his eyes and fell to the ground. He heard a loud voice. It was too loud. It gave Saul a headache. Saul, Saul, said the loud voice. Why are you fighting me? Lord, Saul answered, who are you? I am Jesus, said the voice. When you hurt my friends, you're hurting me too. Go to the city, Jesus said. I'll tell you what to do. When Saul opened his eyes, he couldn't see. His helpers had to hold his hands and lead him like a little child. Saul was blind for three whole days, and yet it was as if he was seeing for the very first time. Meanwhile, there was a man called Ananias who loved Jesus. Jesus came to him in a dream. Go to Saul and pray for him, and I will make him see again. Ananias knew all about Saul and how he hated Jesus' followers. Lord, he has come to hurt us. But Jesus told Ananias, Saul is the one I've chosen to tell the whole world who I am. So Ananias went to Saul. Brother Saul, Ananias said, it was Jesus you met on the road. And Ananias prayed for him. Suddenly Saul could see again, but he saw everything differently. He wasn't mean anymore. He even changed his name from Saul to Paul, which means small and humble the very opposite of proud. And do you know what Ananias' name means? The Lord is full of grace. Grace is just another word for gift, which is funny because that's just what Paul's message was from then on. It's not about keeping the rules, Paul told people. You don't have to be good at being good for God to love you. You just have to believe what Jesus has done and follow him because it's not about trying, it's about trusting it's not about rules, it's about grace. God's free gift that cost him everything. What happened to Paul? Paul met Jesus. Then it goes on and talks about shipwrecks, letters, etc. So now we all know the story of Paul. Okay. When you look at Paul's life and then you read Ephesians and you hear Paul say things like, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ruler of the air, the ruler of the world. I think it's easy for us to say, okay, that might be true for Paul, but I never tried to like eradicate a whole religious sect. 
I've never been after a group of people. I didn't have this booming lightning and cloud and voice from heaven conversion experience. And so maybe that's true for Paul, that he's dead in his transgressions and this heavy and weighty dramatic story, but I'm not sure that's true for me here and now. And what I get that Paul's speaking to a pagan audience and he's trying to reconcile them with the Jews. And you might think that that's so far back then that you can't access it now. I think we can all agree that if, if we're not careful, we too can become spiritually dead and we look just like the world. Here's how one common commentary author writes it. He says this, if this all sounds too morbid for Western culture, we need only to reflect on the evil of our own society, our suicide rate, the enormous problems caused by escapism through alcohol and drugs, the meaninglessness that challenges all of us as we face injustice, disease, and our own death. So this Snodgrass, he says, if this seems like too much for you to identify with, let's put it in terms that you understand. He even uses the word meaninglessness. That if we're not careful, we might not be out persecuting people or murdering people or doing these huge sins, but maybe the sin of today is just drifting into meaninglessness and we're so distracted and we're so caught up in things that don't matter that we just leave God out, right? God becomes irrelevant to us. And then we're doing like the pagans do. We're just doing like the non-Christians do. There's one particular item that I wanna talk about this morning that can be the embodiment of this meaningless drift that we're talking about. Most of you have it with you. Can I talk about it? We're gonna talk about it. It's your phone. It's your phone. Now let me say this. My phone did not work for the last 24 hours. It's kind of working right now. I got one, one singular raindrop near it and it stopped working on Friday afternoon and it didn't work until this morning. So for the last 24 plus hours, I've been operating without it. And I'll tell you, it is a really good tool. Last night, I was, Ryan was already in bed. I was finishing up this sermon and trying to figure out what to wear for both the traditional service and they want me to wear a t-shirt in this one, so how do you do that? And I do think as a woman, I put a little more thought into that than the, most of the preachers that come up here, and so that is part of getting ready for a Sunday. And so <laughs> I was getting ready last night, and here's some things I didn't realize had dependent. My phone was in a bag of rice, trying to get that literal one raindrop out of it somewhere, and it kind of worked. So, okay, last night, um, I go into a very dark room where Ryan's sleeping, and I'm like, I don't carry a flashlight with me. I carry my phone with me, and so I had to turn on all the lights in the room, apologies. I finally, I get into bed, I, I get into bed, and I'm like, what's gonna wake me up? Like, I, for years, this is my alarm clock. And, and I'm preaching this morning at 8.30, and so I wake Ryan up at like, it's like 1.30 in the morning, and I'm like, hey, I have no phone, I just, you're gonna need, does your phone wake you up? Like, how does this work? And so I make Ryan set many alarms and I'm like, I don't trust, I don't trust it. And then I set one on my laptop, which that doesn't, that doesn't work, so we know. Anyway, so all that to say, I won't go too far into that. There's more, I got in a fight with my sister-in-law yesterday about the abbreviation TCBY, you know, the yogurt shop. What does it stand for? I was so adamant. She was so adamant. No phone in sight, because it's in a bag of rice. How do you win, a, how do you win an argument in the, this day and age? We found her phone, I made her unlock it, I Googled it. Do you know what it stands for, TCBY? I hear the country's best yogurt. Is the right answer in the room? Okay, it, they changed it to the country's best yogurt in 1985. But before that, I was right. This can't be yogurt, is what it was. The phone can be a good tool. But 
I don't even have to convince y'all. It can be a tool of destruction really easily, right? We know this. There are three, three things I wanna to talk to you about. The way we use our phone and how it makes certain things incredibly accessible and they're things that are socially acceptable and they can drift us into meaninglessness if we're not careful. Meaninglessness, which is godlessness, right? One, social media. Let's just cross that. Kara, you're not your social media manager. You have to do it in moderation. It has to have its proper place, right? Or else it can strip you of all your joy, comparing yourself to everything, not just the comparison and all the joy that it steals from you. It just sucks time. We could learn foreign languages in the time I spend in the Reddit comment section. These social media, they, they strip us of just our productive time, right? Y'all can agree. I know y'all have been, you've been away from your phones a little bit this weekend though, right? So you can agree with me. I don't have to convince you of this. Okay, the second thing that has made something that I don't want anybody to have very, very accessible, and it's pornography. You used to have to seek it out. Now it finds you and it just sucks you in. And it's, it steals your ideals of relationships. It steals your ideal of healthy relationships, marriage, everything that God intended porn ruins. Okay, let's get that clear. The third one I want to spend some time on though, it's kind of new because the law has changed in 2018 and now it is really taking life away, particularly from young men, and it's sports gambling. To me, it's popped up out of nowhere, but I'm reading these studies that say it's like the, the dumbing down of the American man because instead of enjoying life, you're on a sports gambling app. You don't even watch the game the same way. The commentators don't even watch the game the same way. And so I started reading about this and there's this, somewhere on my table, there's this uh, Time Magazine article. This study was done and it's a psychologist, a counselor, and he's meeting with people. He's meeting with people about all these things that he's studying in his study and they keep bringing sports gambling into the conversation. So he didn't go out finding this, it found him. But, okay, let me get this. Here's this guy's take on it, the guy that did the study. He says this. The majority of gambling takes place on mobile phones. Largely, although not exclusively, on sports betting apps. Served up to, it's talking about college students. Served up to college students through ubiquitous ads that offer promises of free bets and easy wins. The apps sink their hooks deeper into students, leading them to spend their financial aid money, lie to their parents, and ignore their studies so they can keep playing. It almost feels like binge drinking or methamphetamines where students are going on benders, this psychologist says. They'll make bets and bets and bets and then wonder how the heck did I get here? There's one person that's quoted, his name's Josh, he's 33 years old. He says he started gambling, he gambled using cryptocurrency. He says, I wish I had a casino gambling hobby because then you have to leave your house, go to the casino and bet. Now you can be sitting on the toilet and deposit an infinite amount of money into this hobby. After racking up $200,000 in debt, he handed all his finances over to his mother who gives him a small allowance. He no longer has the password to his bank accounts. He says, I worry about relapsing every day. While Josh is in cognitive behavioral therapy, a, co a common treatment for gambling addiction, he says he's not convinced his therapist fully appreciates the depth to which he sank or the power of the technology has over him. Y'all don't have to be sports gamblers to understand, fill in the blank. What are you doing that appears socially acceptable 
readily accessible, but you just keep getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And then you're like, you're like Josh and you say, how the heck did I get here? And how do I get out of it? These things can placate, they can distract, they can leave us spiritually dead. If you're not big on the smartphone, some people aren't, and I, I admire that. There are other, you can fill in the blank though. I think the 24 hour news cycle has done this to people. We watch the news, we get deeper, we get deeper, we get mad, we don't take action, we just get mad, and it eats at your soul, and it, and it leads to godlessness. Gaming can do that. Y'all can, y'all can, y'all can and you need to f- figure out what it is that takes life away from you. That maybe nobody's gonna call you on because it's seemingly innocent, but you know that it's killing your spirit. And you know that it's taking you further and further from the life that God intended, which is what Paul's talking about. He says, we all, we all have gone astray. All of us lived among them at one time, is the way Paul puts it. And we need to take it seriously. This is what I'll say about that. When we leave God out of the picture, we end up with a life without God. I'm not just talking about eternity, I'm talking about life here and now. We can leave God out of our lives, but the great news of the gospel is that God doesn't leave us. Even when you feel like you've ended up where you don't wanna be, Paul says it and he means it, we all lived like that, but God shows up. He doesn't just stay up here, just watching us suffer. He joins us and he rescues us because he loves us. Verse four, if you still have your Bible open, it ends with this most powerful, or begins, sorry, with this powerful phrase, this powerful change in tone. In the NIV, it's lost a little bit because the, the, the phrasing gets taken apart, but in the Greek, it, has, it just says, but God. You'll have some of those verses that you know about, but God, it's used 45 times in the scriptures, that phrase, and it's always powerful, but this might be the best that it is. It says, like the rest, that's verse three, we were nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. But God turns this thing around for us. Paul's giving us a reminder. Remember what God has done for you. Look what God has done and is doing. Then he brings in verse eight and nine. A lot of y'all probably memorized this if you grew up memorizing the Bible. Powerful scripture, read it with me if you would. For it's, excuse me, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. This is what Paul's trying to tell his readers. He's trying to tell his audience. Take it in, think about it for a second. He's saying we're living, we're walking in death. We can all think about how we get there but God didn't leave us there. He saves us by grace, through faith, and it's nothing you can do or that you did so that no one can boast about it. I find this to be very good and very bad news, depending on where you are. If you think you're doing all right on your own, you think you're pretty good compared to the person next to you, then this might be really bad news, maybe a bad day for you. You're not as good as you thought you were. This news is really bad news. The good news 
is that God is better than you can ever imagine. It says his, his immeasurable love, his immeasurable riches, they come after us. And here's what I want you to hear about this, and this text makes it so clear. There are few passages in all of scripture that show so much that the action and the credit and the authorship and the driving of God's love for you is based on the character of God, the giver, not on the worthiness of you, the recipient. Does that make sense? Commentator put it like this, it'll be on the screen. Mercy and love are revelations of God's being, not a response to something that merits love in the individual. God acts in mercy because he is that kind of God, not because you are that kind of recipient. We, we all fall short of the glory of God, but God comes after us. I told you earlier, Ryan and I had these three children last year, we had triplets, the church has been amazing. People are always asking, what have you learned about yourself? What have you learned about God? I think part of it is just endurance, stamina. We, we've survived, thanks to y'all. Um, but one thing that we know is that Jack, Ben, and Sam can't do anything on their own. Just now they've learned to like pick up the food and put it in their mouth. I still, make the, I still shop for the food. I still make the food, still put it in front of them. They can't even get out of their beds on their own. If it was up to them, they'd still be in the bed. I have to lift them out of bed. I have to take their clothes off. I have to put a fresh diaper on. They put their clothes back on, new clothes. Then we feed them. Then we love them. Then we take them with us to church. I'd take them to the daycare. You know, all these things. If they were left to themselves, they would die. They don't have to beg me and Ryan to come love them. They don't have to wave us down and say, oh, please, please, I'm worthy of it. Please, come wipe my booty. Come change my clothes. They don't have to. Why? Because we, we just love them. We love them. These are our children. They've done nothing to deserve it. They're not even old enough to try. They don't even know they're supposed to be striving. They just exist. And by existing, as the children of Ryan and Katie, Ryan and Katie love them. We would do anything for them. We have. We've done a ton for them already. We had to buy a new house. We had to buy a minivan, which I'm actually really excited about that. Some people don't like that. I finally got a minivan. Ryan's changed jobs, our whole routine, our life, our priorities. Everything's upside down. And we would do it every day, and we will, for the rest of our lives, because we love them. They're not earning it. They're not even trying to. They, we, we love our children because they're our children. How much better does God love us? Because it's God. And even the things I want to do for my children, I'd move mountains, I can't, God can. This is God who can be trusted and he loves us better than we can love anybody else. And this is the image that we get in the scriptures is this heavenly father who loves us. And even though we're dead in our sin and our transgressions and our meaninglessness, God steps in and redeems us and he intervenes because of his immeasurable riches his kindness displayed in Jesus, says verse seven. God loves us and he pursues us because that's who God is, not because of what we deserve. I wanna leave us with this. Verse 10, beautiful, beautiful ending to this section. I wanna read it with you. So end of verse nine says this, not by works so that no one can boast, and here's verse 10, for we are God's handiwork, his workmanship, his poema, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has given you life. He's exalted you. Why? Because you're God's handiwork. 
You're his masterpiece. The scriptures tell us that in all of creation, humanity is God's magnum opus. It's the crown of creation. It's the pinnacle of all things. Us, humanity. But did you notice the language? It's us. We are God's handiwork, created and created to do good works which God prepared for us to do. It's not singular. It's not you alone. God didn't redeem you and make you his poema so that you could just exist by yourself. Although that's beautiful and you can know God and I'm not saying you don't go to heaven when you die and you don't have life with him, but God did not create us to be by ourselves. This year, this school year on Wednesday nights, our children are doing masterpiece electives. Anyone here participating in the masterpiece electives? I see a hand, I see a hand, I see a little hand. Very good. And so last semester, Cheryl Davis came and taught y'all how to quilt. She brought her quilt. I got pictures, I think. They're a picture. Okay. She brought her quilt. And she got to talk to them about this, this gift that she has, this skill set, this, this craft that she does as a handy worker. And what she did is she handed out little squares. And so each kid got to make their own square. But then they were taken and they were put into a larger quilt, right? Each little square, I'm just going to guess, I'm going to wager that they would do a very bad job of keeping someone warm, right? Who wants to take a nap under one very small square of cloth? No one, right? It's a beautiful piece of cloth, but it was designed for a greater purpose, right? Cheryl Davis takes them, puts them into this beautiful quilt, and then they get to become what they were meant to be. Their handiwork, their, their craftsmanship, they're sewn together so that they can, they can be used for a purpose that God has ordained for them. So it is with us. We're God's handiwork, we're his poema, we're his masterpiece, but we're meant to do it together. So that we, the fabric that makes First Baptist, that makes the church universal, can be woven together to be God's kingdom and be what we need and we have to do it together. You can't do it by yourself and accomplish what God wants to do for us. The church is made to be plural and it's made to be us. So we're like patchwork. We belong to one another. And maybe that's why the plague of today is isolation, screens. Maybe that's why having your phone in your pocket, we all go, yes, I know, I know. It takes me away. It takes you away from community. It takes you away from each other. And it takes you away to just being alive to the world. And if you're not careful, you will drift into nothingness. And it's not what God has for you. It's not what God has for us. So today, I wanna close with an invitation. I wanna invite you to consider deeply the rich, immeasurable kindness of Jesus displayed on the cross. God coming to find us in our nothingness and create life for us. This is the gospel. I want you to dwell on that. And I want you to consider all of the ways that we fall short of that life with God that he's intended for us. I want you to leave here today what you need to leave here. I want you to take away what you need to take away. So during this time of commitment, I want you to take it seriously. Youth, I hope you all make some, have made some decisions. Please come tell us about them. We wanna celebrate with you. We wanna be the church you need. But I want us all, God saved people, to do the good work here and now. I want us to do it together as this patchwork for God's purpose and God's kingdom here on earth. Let's pray. Lord God, it is you who've found us, rescued us, saved us from ourselves, from the world, from meaninglessness, and from just sin that entangles us. And so Lord, I pray that we give you 
that weight, the worthiness, that we, we lay that at your feet, that you're worthy of all of this. And Lord, I pray for each person and just the, whatever sin is easily entangling them and keeping them walking in the ways of the world that you would speak into their hearts, that you would convict, that you would give us freedom to walk in life that you offer. And so Lord, whatever we're up to that we know just falls short of the good life you have intended for us, I pray that we leave it at your feet. God, we love you and we give this moment to you. In Jesus' name, amen.